Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, congratulations. You're about to arrive to the right place. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the Ellen and Aaron's Forceful Are you ready for it? Now, here is Ellen and Aaron. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Podcast. It is Friday, April the 23rd, 2021, and we are delighted to have you with us here tonight. Uh, hopefully, you're listening live, and uh, tonight we've got a special uh, special guest here for you. Alan will be telling you about him here in just a couple of moments, and uh, we're also going to uh, talk about what's going on in the world of sports. We've got the NFL Draft here coming up uh, next week. Uh, Major League Baseball is in full swing now. Uh, some news from the NBA, golf, and of course, Alan's favorite, boxing. Alan is joining <laughs> us here tonight. And Alan, uh, how's uh, how's everything going for you? Everything's going wonderful. Thank you for asking. I really appreciate you being here today. And it's been a really fast week. It went by really fast this week. Yeah, it seems like the older we get, the faster things go. Um, so we're we're uh, in. Um, <laughs> We're in hypo mode now, so <laughs> um, yeah. what's on your mind tonight? I know we've got a lot of lot of sports stuff going on here. Um, big week, uh, a lot of news uh, from um, you know the NFL with the draft right around the corner, as we talked about before. Um, you know, baseball is you know in in its regular mode. Um, NBA playoffs are right around the corner. A lot of cool stuff going on. Um, what's on your mind to talk about here tonight? Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about that, and then definitely we'll talk about things in the golf world, too. We have uh, Emerson coming on, Emerson Morris, which I'll give you introduction about Emerson. But before we get too deep in the show, let me first and foremost start the show off with uh, giving a tribute to Antron Pippen. He's the eldest son of NBA legend Scottie Pippen. Uh, definitely it's a real heart heartfelt Sincere condolences that go out from myself, Alan, from the Alan and Aaron Sports Radio Show, as well as from Aaron as well. And definitely, it's it's always something that, uh, you know, a parent's worst nightmare to, to lose a child. Um, I know I know a lot of people have has have, had that happen, you know, Aaron, unfortunately, and myself, too. So definitely, this really touched my heart when uh, I got the news about Antron Pippen passing away. Some interesting facts about Antron is that he's a he was an accomplished high school player in Georgia and then he played college basketball at and Texas A and M International. And one of the things that when I did some research about Antron that was really, really definitely different is that he wore the number thirty three during his playing days. And for those who don't know, that's also Scottie Pippen's number as well. And Antron passed away also at the age of 33. So I want to say prayers to Scottie Pippen, his mom, Karen, all his family and friends. Your thoughts and prayers are with us. And uh, definitely he, he seemed like a really, really cool man to be and son. So since that number 33 is something that was significant, what we're going to do is we're going to do a 33-second 
moment of silence here on the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show. So this is a tribute to Antron Pippen, who unfortunately passed away this week. We're going to do 33 seconds of silence now. Okay, there's 33 seconds for Antron Pippen. And uh, yes, so I'm really excited today. We have Emerson Morris. He's a former defensive end. And more importantly about Emerson, you know, besides being a, a good friend of mine, he's a, he's a great father. And I thought he would be a great person to have on the show today to start the show off with things that are going on in the world that Guys need uh, to step up sometimes and, and hear from other dads to see that it's not easy being a dad. Emerson Morris will talk about his athletic career. He will definitely shed some light about him being a former athlete. I know guys love to play sports, so he'll talk about his his athletic career, the, the highs and lows. Emerson Morris is also, you know, his work in Father University. I'll let him talk to you more about that and his uh, definitely his athletic career. Emerson also is the author of two books. His most recent book is Defeating the Giants from Within. You're Stronger Than You Think. I have a copy of that book here in my hand right now. Again, that's Defeating the Giants from Within. And he also, his first book is Daddy's Milk. Fathers, Your Milk Does Matter. So Emerson Morris, and the great thing is I have the Daddy's Milk one. It's his first book already autographed. So when I run it to uh, Emerson Morris, I got to get the new book autographed from him. Both both copies are available on Amazon. And Emerson will let us know about him playing the position of defensive end. He was a star athlete, and definitely um, he's a person that definitely is very uplifting. He's a former pastor as well. So he's going to give us some insight on how it is to be on the field, what things that you can look forward to if you're going to get drafted, you're going to move into that direction of being an athlete and collegiate and also in in sports, you'll let us know about maybe the goods and, and bads about being on the defensive end of the football, whether you get the spotlight or not. So he's going to very enlighten us. We're going to talk about that. We'll meet Emerson in a few moments. We'll also... <laughs> I want to thank Top Rank Boxing for inviting Alan and Aaron's Sports Talk Radio Show once again to the press conference of tonight of tomorrow night's fights, Saturday night fights. I'll give you the prediction of all that the end of this towards the end of the show. And also, what you're going to look forward to with boxing is we had a big debate on Twitter. I got called into this big Twitter back and forth, back and forth about whether Thriller Fight Club, which is a new boxing pay-per-view boxing having snoop dog ice cube and all of that whether that's real legitimate boxing i'll give you my input my my uh, thoughts on that and we're going to talk about football definitely that we're going to talk about the nba golf and and boxing today on the allen and Aaron sports and radio show feel free to call in and and join the discussion at 516-418-5572 and it's 516-418-5572. We will probably take most of your calls towards the end of the interview after Emerson, who will probably be on the line in a few moments. Any thoughts you have, Aaron? 
No, I mean, right now, uh, it's good to have a good guest on the show. As you mentioned, all the great, um, the great stuff he's doing uh, off the field now. And, and uh, of course, um, we'll get into his career when he comes off us here in a few moments. Um, yeah. Kind of getting into some of the, the meat of, uh, we'll kind of preview a little bit about what we're going to talk about later on. Um, some some big stuff coming up in the world of football with the draft next week. Uh, any, any thoughts on any changes in terms of, you know, Jacksonville taking most likely quarterback number one overall? And do you see any trades that are going to happen that are going to surprise us in the last, last few days before the draft comes up? That's a great question. I, I definitely think, I think Trevor is still going to be number one. I don't think that's going to change. Uh, with with draft picks, you just never know what can happen. We'll get into that. We'll even ask Emerson his thoughts. And I believe we have uh, Emerson calling in now. So we'll go ahead and get him on the line with you on the Allen and Aerosports Radio Show. Hi, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great, Emerson. How you feeling tonight? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm glad to be here on this podcast with you guys. Oh, yes. We're glad and honored to have you as a guest. Thank you for joining us here on the Allen and Aaron Sports Tech Radio Show. We have Emerson Morris. I was telling people about some of your background and introducing you. Yes, sir. But um, glad yes, to sir. see you. <laughs> glad you joined us here. We have Aaron on the line with us, too. But we wanted to, to kind of get your your story on athletically how did it all start for you how did you know that you were destined to be an athlete yes yes uh definitely like i said again thank you guys for this great opportunity man um well uh miami i'm born and raised in miami florida um we like to call it down south and uh growing up i always had a desire to play sports play football uh that's the only thing i really had in front of me that was that i was seriously focused on and so, but growing up as a child, I struggled in academics. And uh, so I've been playing football at that time since the age of five, all the way from Little League. Uh played with a lot of great athletes from, I mean, Little League, from Santana Malls to, um, I mean, you get to high school. I went to a high school, which is called Miami Northwestern, uh, down in Miami. Played with some, a lot of great athletes at that time. And uh, even winning state championship, Florida State Championship, uh, my junior year, uh, 10th grade year, started on varsity, and uh, senior year did great things as well, uh, even making All-American. Um, but one of the things I did not have was my academics, was my SAT. And so I always say to myself that I was, and even now in Miami, there's a culture dealing with sports that is either all or nothing. You know, <laughs> it, it wasn't, uh, uh, you had a backup plan. The backup plan was sports, you know. And when you're young and come from that type of culture that, you know, um, either it's an NFL or bust, uh, that's all you saw, and that was the vision. But I found myself at that time uh, leaving out of high school. I didn't pass my SAT, and University of South Florida started their program, a uh, very new program at that time, not what it is now. And uh, it's ironically, my mom, she wrote a letter to the coach um, because I was supposed to go to University of Miami, all these other schools, but I didn't have my SAT. I mean, can you imagine that, how cocky I was that at that time I'm saying to myself, hey, I'm going to still get in school, thinking it's just by my athletic ability. 
but but I found myself uh, going to University of South Florida and getting the opportunity. And uh, when I got to USF, I didn't just automatically register in school. They brought me up, and they said, we're going to give you a job, maybe in the dorms until you pass your test. Um, and then during that time, uh, that's when I was – I thought it was going to be like an at-the-desk job. You answer the phone, you know, hello, might I help you? Good morning. You know, it wasn't that type of gig. You know, that the, the job that I had was assisting the head janitor in the dorm, Right. And I was way, can you imagine, in high school, you All-American. But by the time you get to college, I had to work to assist in the dorm. And why that? Why I had to do that? Because they could not allow me just to be up there on my own for free. So I had to actually in uh, work in order to have free food, room, room and board. And they just wanted me around the team and to run around that environment so I don't get lost down in Miami and keeping me focused. But um during that time, that's that's the process that uh, went through. It took me a year. Um, a year I went through that process, and um, I went to ACC here in college, uh, excuse me, community college, before I received a scholarship. Until because always about taking that test again, of uh, being uh, to get into college. And so, long story short, they don't have any more. They have something called Prop Forty Eight, and that's when you actually come into high school, college, but you don't pass the test. They give you a year to sit out, and you got to uh, maintain your academics those three years, and that third year you have to graduate. So so that's what I did. But from there, even breaking my leg my last year, 2001, I have a rod in my leg, you know. So uh, so it's, it's, it was a journey during that time. But even in that, how did I learn about football? It was, just, it was just, man, that was my first love at that time, but not realizing I had more in me than just sports. Yeah, it does sound like it. the academics, a lot of times, you're right, great athletes, they put the academics on the side and just pass you through. Did you find that going through the process that some teachers just pass you through, even knowing that you probably <laughs> wasn't? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was the norm. That was, that was the, in, you know, more, more technology now. You can keep up with data. But back then, man, that was um, that was the culture. That was the norm. Um, and I and I wouldn't just blast, you know, it's just educators. I mean, you had some teachers that really worked with a lot of students, and some some students really had some uh, academic um, fluency, reading issues, or in the because many times everything starts with foundation. So when you don't have a foundation or a set foundation of really attacking. Um, illiteracy, it really and really, and I'm gonna say this: when it's not a, when it's not the culture in certain communities with education, it's not it's not um, attractive, or if it's not uh, um, it's not the thing that these young kids see. Number one, from their fathers, from that male role model. I mean, why should I do it? You know, I, my wife is in real estate, real estate, and I'm in real estate as well. And I was thinking, I was always tell her. When I was growing up, I didn't come from a community of models of, of realtors and, and, and contractors, you know. The models mm-hmm. was, was athletes, you know. And so a lot of these, a lot of, I would say, kids in black and brown community come from a culture they just seeing models of, of athletes. And there's nothing wrong with that. But they're thinking that's the only vision or that's the only opportunity. But the world is greater than just sports. And I'll always say this, too. You can use sports to build relationships. So there's so many great people that you meet throughout sports. So a lot of parents also say, I would never allow my child to play football. 
but it's, it's, it's no, because there's a lot of connections and opportunities and so many people that I have met in college and little league and high school, great people, great men from different walks of life that I still keep in contact with. And I have never, I would never make build those relationships if I didn't have a four year scholarship and going to college and meeting different people from different backgrounds. So it's, it's, it's more, it's more pros than cons and, and especially in playing in organized sports. Yeah, it definitely sounds like, you know, being connected in athletics, it does open up a lot of doors for you. And you mentioned that it was NFL a bus. I know there's a lot of great talent that comes out of the, the South Florida area down in Miami. Can you talk about yes. some of that, about the culture of why there's so many great athletes that come out of Miami in the South Florida area? Yeah, great question. Um, I would say this. I, I said this in my book, Daddy's Milk. You know, a lot of times – football down there is, is like a religion, you know, and um, you have a lot of times, I would just say specifically when I was growing up, and I think it's the same thing now, but you'll see more fathers, or it's, I would say just fathers, more men, um, you will see there's, you will see the more support in the little league games or in, in high school games more than just uh, with the academic side, you know, and so why is it so, why is it so important or why is it so valuable for a lot of a lot of um, young men or even men, uh, mid-aged men dealing with sports? I just think it's the – I keep going back to the culture. And um, I always thought going up that the only thing I was gifted to do was to play football. You know, no one would – I was so determined and stubborn that no one's going to stop me from being a professional football player. And I realized that as I – start to understand who I was, you know, and who I, who, what my ability was, my skill set was. It was just not football, but speaking and writing and, and uh, communicating. But I didn't see that as a kid, you know. Only thing I saw as a kid that 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 this is on. But I, I would say this too, and I tell this to my daughter because she wants to play volleyball. You know, I believe, it sounds kind of wild, but I believe football in my childhood protected me. And the reason wow. I say that, because from the age of five all the way to, from high school, I had a vision, Alan. Like I had, I had, I was engaged in something. So the society we're living in now, we have a lot of kids that they don't know they're just existing. So they, they, they're wasting time of not just at least have something of some type of, not even just a sport, but find something that you can engage yourself in so you can keep yourself occupied so you cannot focus on other things that goes around. And I think for myself, I was so locked into football and being on an organized team and having teammates, having coaches, having accountability, having just keeping engaged. Even when I got to high school, I mean, middle school to high school, I was, no one had to make me at the, as, a, as a teenager work out. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like yeah. – I, I, it's like my mom was. She knew where I was at. She knew Emerson was down the street, pumping iron. She knew that twice a day. During yeah. the summer. So that so, but now here is the weak part. Part of I wasn't engaged in academics. However, but the blessing part was at least I was engaged in something, because it covered me. Because if I if I wasn't engaged, who knows where I would have been in the streets and bad decision and just being at the wrong place at the wrong time. So. Um, 
why is it so why football is so down there so critical? I, I keep going back to it's just a, it's just the culture. It's just the culture. Um, and then when you have, I mean, it's a known thing. Miami has speed. <laughs> so when you have when when you have football with speed, you have scouts. You have and and the Bible says your, the gift made room for you. So people, at the end of the day, people, especially in sports, not just sports, anything, but specifically sports, people are looking for that gift. They're looking for something special, and and it, it's it's a system. So when you find if you're an agent, when you find a gifted young man, everybody everybody shares something, or everybody benefits all because of that one gift. Yeah, exactly. You're absolutely right. I mean. You you definitely want to walk into that gift that you have and continue to build upon it. And uh, as far as playing, what made you decide defensive end was your fit, your best fit for your physical attributes? Yeah, no, I, I played linebacker for high school. Um, I played DN my tenth grade year, and uh, I played linebacker DN my tenth grade, tenth grade, my eleventh grade year. We won state, played DN, and then. My last year, I played linebacker. So I was between linebacker and DN. But by the yeah. time I got to college, uh, at USF, it was more of like a hybrid DN linebacker. But it was like, it was so funny. We laughed about it then. But, you know, um, my height was not as the size of a DN. But compared to all the other DNs, it was stronger. Than, so I was pretty strong bench-wise. But, uh, mm-hmm. but the height wasn't the same as, you know, other guys in that position. But um, – to answer that question, I think just it just just wanted just going back to just one opportunity to play ball and and uh, but I went through a, a big transition from high school to college, man. I mean, all American high school went to a pretty known athletic high school, Miami Northwestern, um, playing with some great guys, winning state, you know, playing varsity in tenth grade, and then by the time I got to South Florida, it was like I said, it wasn't what it is now. It was an up and coming starting grassroots program so what you see now like the facilities and all that stuff man we had trailers we didn't we had you know like literally trailers as a as the office for the coaches like people don't get that like they used to call it the ponderosa right <laughs> you know so it, it was it was and then the coach i had was just still the greatest coach ever coached at usf coach levitt he's always he showed us a vision he showed us a dream he was a, he was a go-getter and um, so, honestly, Alan, when I got there, man, I just had that Miami mentality. But I, I had that mentality, but God had a different plan because I said to myself, <laughs> I'm going to do two years at USC and I'm going to go straight to the league. But but it didn't work out that way. And so I had to go through a humbling process. It's like when I got when I was in high school, everything I touched turned to powder, uh, gold. But when I got to college, everything I touched turned to powder. But it was like God was just—he was shifting things in me, and even not even knowing what that was. But that was—that was still part of athletics, still part of it. But He was stripping my identity to something totally different, and that was a struggle, man. Because you know when you build something, especially growing up, because football is a physical sport. It's—I I tell anybody, especially when you play football, don't let it lie to you. It's a physical sport. You know, I, I think anybody that played ball or is playing ball, there's a part. There's a little percentage that's a mean dog. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, yeah. It's just a mean dog because it, it, it's you know it's it's a physical sport. But during that moment, growing up playing the game of football, 
getting to college, God was just starting to really strip me to a different identity of finding who I was. And, um, but yeah, it all turned out well. Yeah, it definitely did. And, you know, you're definitely teaching us a lot, you know, definitely take your academics seriously. Even if you are gifted athletically, definitely you want to do that because you're right. You just never know. Is there anything else that if you, you know, I know your son plays football and you're getting him in that. You see, I see him doing little sit-ups. Seems like you're grooming him. <laughs> yeah. Is there any yeah, other advice yeah. you would give to the youngins that, besides, of course, academics, if you want to make it to that spotlight that you've learned, that can maybe help them? You know, I'll say, uh, I, you were saying something that really stepped my mind. I, I think the first thing, I'll go back to academics real quick. I think the biggest thing for me personally, I did not know it interests me with school, you know, and I think with a lot of youth, it's not that the kids have a disability. They don't, I think they just don't understand what the importance of it, you know? And so yeah. I think with youth, going back to that question, um, people have to understand, especially what our youth have to understand. And I see this too, especially in the education system. We're living in a time, man, with youth, man, it is entitlement, man. You know, so, Kids got to understand that not just sports, anything, and that's specifically sports because college and even high school is something called student athlete. So you're not yep. just a student, but you're two, you're two hats, student athlete. You're not a normal person. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, like you, some people get to go and study and go home and that's why I come to school the next day. When you're a student athlete in college, you're not normal. That your world has changed, your system has changed, your time management is totally different. Like you have wow. to get up five thirty in the morning to work out. Then you got to go take a shower. Then you got to go to a class. Class is not like it's in high school when you have twenty, thirty kids in the classroom. You're going to a a big auditorium with four hundred people in one class, and the professor don't even know your name. Yeah, <laughs> mom is not there. Dad is not there. You know, then nobody's not going to wake you up. Please get up, Johnny. Please get up, Billy. Come on, please. No, if you don't get up, you're going to fail this class. You're going to be on academic probation. Then you got to yeah. go to study hall. Then there's somebody at study hall has a pen. You have to sign your name. What time you're here? You need to do three hours in order to get out of the study hall today because the coach going to find out. <laughs> right? Yeah. So. And, and that's not tied into guys that I knew that had had kids back home from different baby mothers, and they got stressed with that, or they got stressed with going over the loved one that had found out in transition, or or it's so much that comes with it, man. And so you know, yeah. So it, it's it's so to answer that question, I think it takes mental focus, it takes discipline, um, and I wouldn't say mental focus; it, it takes. Laser beam focus, you know, it's different between flashlight and a laser beam, and uh, and so that, but that doesn't happen over one day. That's a that's a that's a habit that is day by day. You got to go through the experience, and so, so yeah, that's that's what I would say to our our youth and to parents because the parents are connected to it as well. So, you know, there's one uh, and I say this is one uh, educator I know, and she has a son that plays basketball and. She said, oh, coach, I feel so bad. I told my son that he can't play, and the team lost. It's a middle school kid. The team lost. I just feel so bad. You know that mom, a part of her, just feel so bad. He didn't say nothing to me that morning. When I dropped him off at school, I said, ma'am, 
don't feel bad. That's the greatest thing you can ever do. Because I was telling her, I said, but life and experiences that that when he goes to college, he may get some coach that, be honest, that may be a, a jerk. And if he doesn't know how to handle that, he would emotionally break. So it's just that balance of knowing everything may not go your way. Sometimes the greatest wins are is realizing that how are you going to respond when things doesn't go your way? Wow. I mean, definitely it's, you're telling us a lot because coming from an All-American to things not going your way, I imagine is a culture shock. And, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and that's the thing. That, Alan, just, but making all day, all day counting, right, All-American. Here I am at a small school, university, that started a program. And guys I played ball with made All-American. They're at big schools. So while I'm taking out the trash or – supposed to be my first in college. I'm looking on ABC, and I'm seeing guys I played ball with from Santana Moss at University of Miami. I'm seeing Rohan Davey win the LSU to, to uh, um, I mean, guys, Marquand Manuel that actually went to University of Florida. I mean, guys left and right. You're seeing guys that you're seeing the TV, and then you guys take you through your process. And so, but realizing that we all have a process, and so it's how you respond to it. And, um, it takes – it's a day-by-day process. And you did see guys like Santana Moss. Go ahead, Aaron. No, go ahead, Aaron. Go, go. Hey, Emerson, this is Aaron. I wanted to, to chime in on something that I, I really find very important. Um, and I do want to say thank you also for joining our show here tonight. Um, yes, sir. You mentioned um, all of the pre- – I mean, pressure. Uh, on a daily basis, you're getting up early. You're going to study hall. You're you're living that student athlete life. Were there times where you felt like, is it all worth it? Do I, you know, did you have oh, times yeah. where you felt like you wanted to give up or, or, or just kind of stop the process for a while? Yes, sir. I mean, to be honest with you, every athlete on that team on that roster said there's something we used to have uh, called tour days, and we laugh about it now because the tour days back then is different than now. I would guess because the heat strokes and the it's a time frame of how many hours they could be out there, right? But when we was, back in the days, we had it wasn't no time frame. It was no cameras. There was no social media and video. It was, man, so it was whew, hot. It was hot. So many guys, we played ball, we just doing those, doing those times, the tour days before season started. I would see many guys would just, every guy had that moment like, man, I'm done. Like, like dude, this is crazy. But then it was always that other guy to encourage, no, let's push through. You got it, man. You can do it. And then you got to understand back in that time in 90, uh, 98, USF just started the program. Mm-hmm. So our coach, Coach Levitt, was brought that grind. I mean, we was building something. Can you imagine, guys? Man, can you imagine building something that had never been saw- seen? Wow. <laughs> you yeah, right at the beginning, of, been, right at the beginning uh-huh. of that program and, and – uh, you know, Coach Levitt did a great job uh, for the yes. you know the years he was there. And actually, remember the first USF game I ever attended was about a year after you had left there. It was in 2002, and I think they were still in uh, Conference USA at that time. So you're mm-hmm. absolutely right; they've come a long ways uh, in the 24 years or 23 years since they right. since they started. So um, yes, sir. Yes, sir. So now, yeah, it, it was it was it was I would and I would say to answer that question. Definitely for me, man, it was 
transition from high school to college because I wasn't registered in school because I still had to be up there and taking out the trash, but then also breaking up the leg uh, at Raymond James Stadium against North Texas uh, to see my leg, the foot all the way turned. Um, uh, I never, I, I, it's amazing, man. Um, but I was down on nobody. And so that moment, and then I had to take 18, I wouldn't hit this guy's, I had to take, remember, I, had a, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Prop 48, but they had that then. They don't have that now. But I had, that was the year I had to graduate after realizing I broke my leg. But I had to take 18 hours in the summer and 21 hours just to graduate with rehabbing my leg. It's a double load there. And then, yeah. one, of the, and then one of the classes I had to take was a criminology class. They didn't have it at USF here in Tampa. They had it in USF Lakeland. So I had to, I had to actually, my, but they cut, a, there's, a, there's a cut on my knee. They cut the knee open to hammer the rod in so the bones can heal properly. So I, I could not bend my knee. So I had to actually put the seat back just to get to the class. Wow. Wow. So, so I tell you, that was, it was a tough time, man. But, and then, and I, now understand, yeah. Even at that time, you know, roommates, that's your teammates, but they're not nurses, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so you're not going to get, you're not going to get it. Come on, come on, baby. Cook, 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 let baby hook. Now, they, these dudes ain't doing that. <laughs> so, yeah, man. Yeah, it's real talk, man. And I'm not, you know, you, I wasn't looking for that, but at the same time, at least can I get a blanket or something, you know? <laughs> you know we got the draft coming up soon, and my question to you is, when you went through that process of seeing guys making it, you know, and you were not not having the, the call they were getting, how did that, number one, make you feel inside, and number two, how did you deal with it? That's a great question. Um, the first couple of years, like I said, I was doing my thing, but then my last year, I really got close to God, and I, it was so Crazy man, uh, the Bible, the story in the Bible called the Joseph. He was uh, he was in prison and basically told um, the butler. He told him, said, "Hey man, when you get out, you know, tell tell the king don't forget about me." You know, and I felt like that because I would find myself telling a lot of my teammates, "Hey man, you know, you're gonna get drafted, man." I mean, we we in the dorm like Keanu Jones, you know, um, played for New England Patriots. He was the first guy to get drafted from USL. Um, I said, man, you about to get drafted. He said, Mo, man, you, hey, yeah, man, it's about. To. And so, other Anthony Henry played for, um, got drafted with Cleveland Caval- uh, Cavaliers, Cleveland Browns. Uh, so a lot of guys I, I was connected with, and I was just encouraging them, man. And sure enough, they got drafted. Uh, Keanu Jones, first round. I mean, excuse me, I think it was third round, first pick. After literally after that, Bill Gamatica, kicker, second round. Um, excuse me, third round, second pick, and then Anthony Henry, third round, um, third pick. So they got drafted all three back to back. And so, um, with my leg and everything, and and then not just that, when I had that injury, it's like a uh, it's like a broken relationship, man. The love for the game wasn't the same, you know. Um, and then I just I just had to come to that grips that, you know. Uh, and just that dog, just having that same zeal, that fire, it just, for me personally, it was just, it wasn't the same. So, and I tried out for Atlanta Falcons and for a short period of time, but just, you know, you can't play, 
not just sports, but anything. You can't do anything without passion. So if that passion is not there, you really lie to yourself. And mm-hmm. so to answer that question, that's when I realized, when I saw that, um, it took a while, man, just to embrace it. It took a while to watch football. It took a while to to just – because, remember, you playing something all your life, and then, you know, that next level is going to take a next level in order to be there. So – and I think a lot of guys I've run across, especially the first five years for a lot of guys, it's hard to just accept it. It's hard to accept it. And um, and so you have a lot of guys that sometimes get over 40 and they still – think it's going to happen, but that's, it's just denial. So, um, but after a while, hey, especially when you get married, <laughs> you know, when you have kids, you, you, you got to make a quick decision. If not, then at the end of the day, they're hurting. So, so no, I, I definitely got it. I tell the kids all the time, especially in the school system, you know, the kids, they think they're, they're everybody think they're all American. And I just tell them, I said, uh, I said, look here, I want the best for you. I have no desire to put any pad. I don't want to do one court. I am good. So, so it's just just accepting that, realizing, you know, you're not. It's not the same what it used to be, and it won't be the same. Oh wow, yeah, that's definitely definitely deep. And now I know that you're working with something new now, Father's University. And please uh, let us know because a lot of people have been asking what's what's Father's University for those who don't know. And let us know what your work in that is is about. Yes, sir. Father's University, um, it focuses on fatherhood, finance, and fitness, and also we do coaching. So instead of using the word counseling, um, we use the word coaching. So basically, uh, we people that's dealing with different issues, they can have coaching. Uh, we're sitting down. It's a 60-minute coaching that we do. And um, I think there's a – there's – many times, I believe in our society, there is so – many resources for mothers and for women. And my mom, who was a big person of influence on my life, she uh, was, we were very close. She passed in 2013. And I say all that to say this because she was a beautiful woman and I love, there's, there's nothing that can substitute a mother. But I believe in our society, there's not a lot of resources for us as fathers. You know, many times as a man, you're going through things, even if you show emotional, if you talk, you say, man, I'm tired, I'm frustrated. We're sometimes a perception like, you're not a man, you know. But, no, there there needs to be a place, and Father's University is a place can um, help men and help guide men through process and through things. Um, in the future, we are actually building a uh, curriculum, like a school, a class for men, and not just just head knowledge, but helping men that are uh, getting health checks to understanding, um, knowing their heart rate, to understanding knowing how to get through things as a father with their kids. There's no perfect father, you know. I got a 12-year-old daughter and 5-year-old son. Uh, many times, and many times as fathers, we learn it uh, day by day how to communicate, you know. Um, I tell my wife all the time, you know, you're a mother, I'm a father. We're not going to communicate the same. And so, and that's okay. And so that's one of the things of Fathers University is to help men get through the process, help men understand and there's some model. My father was a beautiful man. He passed last year in 2020. Um, but even there's some things that's that's things that we learned from my father. It's good, negative things, positive things. And so there's some things that we're learning how to detox. There's some things that we're learning that you know. Uh, and I'm talking here. I'm the founder of Father's University. But hey, even in that, I get tired sometimes. 
So it's realizing, uh, creating a community for men so they can be transparent, so they can be vulnerable, they won't be judged, they won't look that crazy. And hear this, they can realize that if I hear another man's story, hear another man saying I'm tired, hear another man saying how can I get through as a father, that if, if he can show them, I always say this, why would I show my scars? And I'm telling you my scars, but you just show me your Band-Aid wound of a pinky being wounded, metaphorically speaking. When I show my scars and then other person is comfortable to show their scars and saying, hey, if you can open up about that, I can open up about this, and how can I get the help and the, uh, uh, um, assistance in how to get to the next level. And so we do our Zoom uh, Father's Monday huddles uh, twice. We do it twice a month, which is the second week and the third week of every Monday at 7 p.m. Yep, second and third week of every Monday, a Zoom. And that's definitely sound like it's a great opportunity for men to get help. You know, being a dad is very, very important. And, and you're absolutely right. It's it's definitely something that it's a lifelong job. It's not something you, you get injured and yeah. then you get, yeah. hey, come in the game. You can do it for me, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. I was one day, one day, me and my family was playing. Uh, uh, what's the name of that? Uh, Nintendo Switch, and we're playing yeah. Family Feud, right? And this is this is real talk. We was watching the game. I mean, uh, playing Family Feud, right? So the question was, what give your father, for, uh, give your dad or father for Father's Day? So they had different, you know, at the end they had the different choices and options. Do you realize one of the options or choices of the answers w- was nothing? <laughs> <laughs> It said, I'm serious. The game said nothing. And my wife, they laughed. My wife looked at me and I wasn't laughing because she, she know my, my, my passion for fathers. And she stopped laughing. I said, no, you can laugh. But I said, this is what I'm talking about. This is the society we're living in why fathers are not supported. Fathers get socks for Father's Day, you know. And uh, the big, like, like Chris Rock said, the big piece of chicken, right? <laughs> that's right. It's amazing. Yeah. So that's mean, what yeah. we do. That's what we do. Uh, that's awesome, and and uh, you know, definitely, it's great to be a dad, and and then you you also have the new book out, defeating the the giant from within. You're stronger than you think, and also Daddy's Milk. So you're doing big things and and writing books, and and tell us a little about about defeating the giants from within. How would that help somebody who wants a resource about being a better dad? Yeah, defeating giants from defeating the giants from within totally different than Daddy's Milk. Uh, defeating the giants from within came out last year, my second book. Uh, I like I said before, I dealt with illiteracy. I was in third grade. I was in chapter of the in chapter one class, and as a kid, I thought chapter one means. <laughs> I thought this is so funny. I thought chapter one meant the 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 number one class in the school. But as I got old, I realized chapter one meant slow class, and it was a learning disability, um, and I struggled in comprehension. And so what I talk about defeating the giants is and um, my dealing with illiteracy and overcoming that, um, and even as a school teacher trying to become certified, taking tests, numerous of tests, and always failing. It took me 11 to 12 years to actually pass all those tests. And... Um, so defeating that giants from within, talk about even 2019, uh, unexpectedly I had to have a heart procedure. I had an AFib. I had a fast heart rate. Didn't even know that. You know, I knew something felt different. And um, so I talk about things of that nature, talk about the transition of my father, 
So the Defending Giants book really helped people to attack giants that they're running from. Um, I say this in the book that many times when we run from our giants, we're really running into our giants. And uh, yeah. one of the things I talk about in the book, too, is the, the Wizard of Oz. When you had Dorothy, you know, she was trying to, you know, uh, get to this place. She was trying to get to a place. And so she felt like on this journey that if I had these people, I had the Scarecrow, the Tin Man, the Lion, I needed these resources in order to get me to my destination. And the thing that really stood out to me, what what things she had with her the whole time, which is the little poodle, Toto, <clears throat> was with her the whole time, helped her find the whiz. And so the greatest <laughs> asset we have is the smallest thing that's always with us and is within, you know. And so I think um, I know we all have giants. Um, sometimes we're open about it or sometimes we're quiet about it, but no matter what you're dealing with, you have the ability to defeat the giant. You know, and so um, there's definitely a book you want to get that will change your life. It's a powerful book. Um, and so I realized, and i never forget, years ago when I took the test for the last time, I was so nervous and so scared about the results when the lady gave me the paper. Gentlemen, I didn't even flip the, the paper over to see the results. I went to the restroom after I got the paper. I still didn't flip the paper over. I didn't flip the paper over until I got in my car, and it said not pass. Oh, wow. And I never so knew got... that time. Say it again. I'm sorry. It sounded like you knew the answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but I, I, I was hoping, and you know, it's, it's, amazing, it's amazing I say this, too. Years ago, I took some tests so many times, my wife said, you need to get a tutor. And now I'm like, no, I'm just a couple points away. I can eat. I'm, I got this. So it took me a while <clears throat> to eat it and say, I'm going to get me a tutor. And I drove to Orlando years ago. <clears throat> to meet with this tutor. And I paid the tolls and traffic, you know, traffic getting to Orlando, and it took me about an hour and 30 minutes just to meet with this tutor, right? And he didn't even have an office. He had like a spot in an insurance company building, right? <laughs> so it's real talk, man. <laughs> so I'm like, are you kidding me, man? I'm not coming for insurance or a tutor, man, you know? And, uh, and I, I'm for real, man, and I got there. And he said, so what's going on? I said, I, I'm just looking for help, man. And so he, he says, uh, he says, so, and I said, hey, I'm, he said, what's going on with the test? I said, I, I, I understand the content. I, it looks familiar. I feel good when I'm taking the test. And gentlemen, he says, something that still sticks with me today. He said, Mr. Morris, if you understand the content, if it looks familiar to you, well, why are you getting the same results? Wow, that's a good point. I was like, Woo. And I felt like a magician pulling a rabbit out the hat, like, okay, uh, that's a great point, <laughs> you know? And so <laughs> I, I, I started to realize, and here's this, after I got tutored, I, I, I didn't pass the test. Even after that, it took me a while. But what he said to me destroyed my false perception of my truth. Oh, wow. And so many times in order to defeat our giants, we got to put ourselves around people that doesn't know our story and that that's not going to agree with us with that lie. Yeah. So and that, that's, that's, what the, that's what the book is about. And daddy's milk. I did. Daddy's milk is powerful too. It definitely, it, it, it teaches you the real true importance of being a good dad and, 
It's a great book. And tell people about Daddy's Milk. Yeah, Daddy's Milk uh, came out 2014. Um, first time author. Never knew I'd been an author. Didn't know to school about author. Didn't know how to start a book. Um, was I never forget. I was teaching at that years ago at that time, and I was teaching and I was making teacher salary. And by the time my wife was pregnant, knowing that she was pregnant, um, I came up short of my teacher certification. And my wife, when she was pregnant, come to find out, it was 2008, the economy hit, and she lost her job. And so I was working at Tampa Bay Tech as an assistant teacher, and I was in the lab. I was just so frustrated with myself as a man. And I was just like, man, I really done messed up now. And this is, you know, you know, as a man, when it really falls on you, you're like, oh, my goodness. And so yep. here I am. I was in this lab, and I had this one thumb drive, and I just had time on my hand. I didn't really know how to type. But I said, you know what, I'm going to just start, start typing my book. You know, and that night I was working at FedEx, so I was working from sun up to sundown, and I came from FedEx at like two something, two thirty in the morning, and came home. And I remember first time father, and I come to come inside the house, and I look upstairs, the light is on, so I realized my wife was in my newborn daughter's room, and so I go up, my shirt's wet, got to visualize, my shirt is wet, just got finished uh, getting off from FedEx, and I'm just young father. Want to see my my daughter? Want to see my wife? And she's rocking uh, daughter uh, to sleep, breastfeeding her. And so here I'm, a young dad, just wanted just wanted to grab my daughter. And all of a sudden, me being a young father, not knowing all the details, she thought she started to cry. The baby started to cry, and I'm not not realizing that she's eating right now, right? <laughs> so, and uh, so she baby starts to cry, and my wife says, "Just give her back to me." And I sit in the room, in the corner internally talking to myself, saying, what role does a man play in all of this? You know, you got books and literature for women, for mothers, you got classes, you know, got group hugs, you got nothing for the man. And uh, externally I said to myself, I'm going to write me a book. Now, I'm not serious about it. I just threw it out there. And I'm thinking my wife was asleep, breastfeeding our daughter, and she wakes up out of her sleep, guys, and she said, you should name it Daddy's Milk. Now, I'll be honest with you, when she said that, I said, man, I ain't writing no book about no daddy's milk. <laughs> right? I'm not <laughs> crazy. You know, that sounds like Mr. Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, man. I'm not doing that, you know. And, uh, but that, I'm going to be honest with you, that's what I said to myself. And I was like, I, I literally just, like, in my head, like, man, she crazy. I'm not writing a book, no daddy's milk. People look at me crazy. <laughs> right? So, so the next day I go to the lab. Uh, in the success lab at the school, and I begin to just process the bond that takes place with a mother and her baby and that child, that bond that when she's breastfeeding, that connection. There's nothing that can separate that with a mom. And then that's when I begin to process the father's seed is powerful, that the woman's breast can never be filled with milk if it wasn't for the father's seed. And not just the seed, in the seed is identity, his touch, his communication, when he hurts, when he cries, when he laughs, when he gets tired. Father seed, daddy's milk. And um, it's powerful, man. So, yeah, it, I interviewed my father. I'm, I'm, I have another brother. I'm 42. I have another brother um, that my father had while my mom was uh, and father was pregnant. 
and we all from Miami, but guys, I didn't get a chance to meet him until I was 18. The only reason I met him was when my uncle was murdered. And so I talk about all this in the book, but how also things was restored, that me and my brother have a great relationship now. Uh, so it's, all, it's not about just just opening up can of worms, but it's also bringing a restoration that we as fathers, man, are so important. And if we make mistakes, we can get back up because we're still the father. Absolutely. That's absolutely right. And, and definitely. Being talking a, too much. No, no, not at all. You know, you're doing a great job, Emerson. And, you know, in yes, fact, sir. I want to let our listening audience know that you can reach Emerson out and you can talk to him. He, what's the best way for people to reach you? Yes, they can reach me at uh, Emerson J. Morris at gmail.com or they can go to my website, EmersonJMorris.com. So those two ways they can reach out to me and um, I yep. love to truly connect with people. That's fantastic. And definitely reach out to him and he can help you with the Father's University. You also can reach out to him to get those two books, Defeating the Giants from Within and Daddy's Milk. Those two books, you get them directly from Emerson. And you can also, they're available. I did see them on Amazon as well. So support uh, Emerson Morris. He's a great dad, great uh, person to know. And I'm honored to be his friend. I, I really thank you, Emerson, for being on our show. And, yes, sir. And, it's an honor. Thank you guys so much. Oh, you're very really welcome. Appreciate Definitely appreciate you being here. Alan, I didn't know you know, like boxing, man. Yeah, I love boxing. In fact, <laughs> boxing is something I'm very passionate about. Golf is, too. I know those things people don't really know a lot about. But, yeah, I'm, I'm really – I had to get a fight with you, man. You probably would have knocked me out, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, 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 you know, boxing is something that a lot of people take for granted. It's a great sport. And, and in fact, later yeah, on, today, I'm going to give all the predictions of the fights that's going to happen tomorrow. So, yeah. That's that's awesome. Yes, sir. No, thank you guys so much for this opportunity, man, and uh, I appreciate you guys so much. Uh, we appreciate you too, Emerson. Thank you. I tell your wife, uh, she uh, takes some beautiful pictures, and it's always nice yes, to. Yes, will. Yep, she's she, she's a great woman. Thank you so much. Thank you, you guys. Welcome, You're welcome. God bless you. Same to you too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Yeah, so that is Emerson Morris. Definitely glad to have him on our show, the Allen and Aaron Sports Tech Radio Show. And definitely yeah, to learn a lot. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Stuff tonight. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and shift uh get a little bit of baseball. Let's talk a little bit about that. I did see that nice play that uh <laughs> you described that you posted on Facebook. I tell you what, I had that game on here, uh, I don't know, it was probably two hours ago now. And, uh, you know, normally, uh, it, and if people don't realize what we're talking about, uh, it was the Arizona and Atlanta game. And I forget who the hitter was. It went down the uh, right field line, and the right fielder came to make the play. And kid in the second row, fair game, it's in the stands. He made the play and actually caught the ball. And the, the uh, left uh, right fielder, rather, I think it was Cole Calhoun with Arizona, he – Gave him a fist pump and started kind of laughing a little bit, like, hey, you, you caught this ball instead of me. So um, uh, kind of a neat thing to see. That's, that's that's the beauty of sports sometimes is, you know, you see a play like that, and we need to see more of that stuff going on instead of the, the um, you know, the overly uh, 
overly serious type of stuff. This is kind of one of those things that was fun and everybody on both sides kind of had a good, you know, good laugh out of it. So, um, but uh, yeah. I think your Yankees are starting to maybe turn things around. Uh, they, they've gotten off to kind of a rough start here um, this season. It's uh, not, not quite what most people predicted and including myself, I really felt like they'd be a little bit better at this point, but it is only what 18 or 19 games into the season. So we're a little bit early on in, uh, in, you know, where things are. No, you're absolutely right. The, the, the Yankees are, did start off really, really cold. The nice thing is they're starting to put things together and win a couple of games. So that's good because uh, you, you're right. You don't want to hit the panic button too soon. You do kind of want to get a good start. I, I hope they do turn the corner and, and start to do even better because I just feel as if, if they don't, Aaron Boone's job might be at risk. And it's stressful being a manager of the Yankees. Aaron Boone had a pacemaker installed in the offseason. And I'll tell you, I would hate for him to do, go through that and then lose his job, uh, you know, later on in the year. So I, I definitely think the Yankees are, are starting to put it together, which is always a positive thing. I, I agree with you. I didn't think they were going to be this this slow of a start. And they were at the bottom of the list, AO least, just a, a few days yeah. ago. Well, and, you know, baseball is one of those games where you can't have uh, too much of a knee-jerk reaction when things don't go the way you want them to. It's a long season, and I, I would compare it to a marathon. You know, if you're if you're running a 50-yard dash or, a, you know, a sprint, you know, that, that's an NFL season as a sprint. That's a 16-game season. So you have a couple of bad games. That could ruin your whole year. The thing about baseball is if you if you overreact, a lot of times that's that's actually what does more harm than just getting through the struggles that you go through. And I, I've always found, and I've been analyzing the game and watching the game and being, being a fan of the game for a long time. I mean, the majority of my almost 40 years, I, I've been very close to watching the game in, in all those areas. And I think the thing that you have to really take into account and any good team that's going to overcome where they are when they start and maybe getting to the point where they want to be is you just make tiny corrections. You know, if your bullpen is struggling or if you have a bad matchup or, you know, the starting pitcher is locating his pitches wrong, you learn from those things and you have a lot of time throughout a season to learn from mistakes. And so the good teams, the teams that are going to be there, and the Yankees will be there. I'm, I'm very confident in saying that. Um, they're, they're going to learn from that. They're going to go back and look at the tape. They're going to go back and look at, hey, we didn't defense this right, or we, we should have pitched this hitter differently, those kind of things. They're going to come through. And that offense just can't be as poor as it's been. It can't be like that the entire year. That's just not possible. Um, I think a big part of it is health. And you look at the last couple of years, uh, Judge and Stanton, who should be two scariest hitters in all of baseball for the most part. I mean, they've, they've had some injury issues. They've had trouble staying healthy. It's really a big thing that those guys stay in there because those are the two biggest pieces of your lineup for the most part. But uh, I just can't imagine that they're not going to start hitting here before too long. And then, my goodness, you know, you've got an excellent – closer in Aroldis Chapman starting rotation really should be one of the best in the, in the American League if not in all of baseball so 
Um, I, I don't think if I, I'll be honest with you, Alan, I, I wouldn't be shocked if we are talking completely different about the Yankees when we get to July and August, but the hotter months of the year where things have kind of been able to get smoothed out and the, the imperfections are out of the way, uh, they're going to be right there at the top, I think, of the AL East. No, you're exactly right. I I think you're, the fans are, are making those knee-jerk reactions, especially Yankee fans. You know, you're right. It is a marathon. I agree with that as well. They were five games behind. They're only four now. So it does look bad that they're at the bottom. But you know what? Four games out is not so bad as poorly as they've been playing. I mean, seven wins and 11 losses to only be four games out. you got to be happy with that. But they're going to turn it around. You're right. You know, you have to learn from your mistakes in sports if you want to move up in any sport, boxing, golf, everything, baseball. You have to learn from your mistakes, and I think the Yankees are very good with that. So I think they're going to turn things around, and they're going to be fine. I think they're going to be fine. Yeah, and I definitely think they're going to be just fine. And also, I, I wanted to go ahead and say a couple things about golf. Is uh, Stewart Sink? He did win that uh, tournament. You you mentioned that you want to learn from your mistakes. You know, golf is that type of sport where you do want to learn from your mistakes and and uh, I did want to send congratulations to Stuart Stink for winning the RBC championship. And uh, definitely keep up the good work on that. And uh, with boxing, I know <laughs> this is the, the, the part that a lot of my boxing fans and, and Twitter fans were really – I got into a war. I got into a war, Aaron, this week on Twitter. The war was this. Let me – let some of the fans and yourself know a couple of points they brought up. Number one, they were talking about Jake Paul and his fight on Thriller. First part of the debate was that they didn't think Jake Paul was really worthy of being in the ring, and they didn't think he was he was a, a good boxer. And I, I had disagreed with that. I said, listen, the guy's only fought three fights. Yes, he has not fought a professional boxer yet. But at the same token, you don't want to fight somebody that's way above your talent level right from the beginning because that could crush – that could actually be career suicide for any boxer. Any athlete, if you're a boxer, you're amateur, you don't want to fight somebody that's way above your talent level and way above you because you could end up losing and you could be crushed by that loss. A boxer's record, the last thing you want to do is get is lose, it, lose a, a fight because you might struggle to get another one. I mean, case in point is Keith, we had Keith Thurman on the show. He lost a very, very close fight to, to Manny Pacquiao, and he's still trying to get back in the ring. I mean, it's unfortunate and it's not fair, but that's the thing is that you don't want to take on bite off more than you could chew. He's doing very good. Yeah, Jake Paul. yeah. yeah go ahead, Aaron. Yeah, I was, just, I was just saying I agree with you there 100%. Yeah, you don't you don't you don't want to go ahead and have too much you could chew and and Jake Paul that that was one of the, the things they said on Twitter I got drawn into. I said you know give the guy give the guy a chance. He's training in Miami, and I also felt as if at least Jake Paul is putting in the work. People can say what they want to say, but he is putting in the work. He's not just saying he wants to get better and then he's not doing it. The other part to that is that uh, he's fighting on Thriller, which is a brand new. But people don't know, brand new pay-per-view line. 
With Thriller, it is very different. For those who haven't watched the first two fights that Jake Paul has been on, Thriller is very different than HBO, even top-ranked boxing, PBC, the other boxing cards. What they do differently is they had a lot of performances. You had Justin Bieber. You had Snoop Dogg, Ice Cube. These guys all performed, and then Snoop Dogg, Nate Dogg performed too. I mean, you had a lot of entertainment included in between the fights. So they were like saying, well, this is the demise of boxing. I was like, you know what? I don't agree with that because Thriller is something different. You get boxing matches, but you also get a lot of entertainment. And I said, hey, you could pay for a fight and the guy could get knocked out in the first round and you just lost all your money. At least with this Thriller, you had a lot of entertainment. You had Snoop Dogg, Mario Lopez. And speaking of Mario Lopez, I, I have to go ahead and, and give him a shout out. He did like two of my tweets, so somebody did like it. it Mario Lopez liked two of my <laughs> tweets <laughs> during the week. He sure did. I said that Mario and Snoop Dogg are doing a great job. I even said the other tweet he liked was I said that I think Terrence Crawford and Keith Thurman should maybe try to get a fight on Thriller and and fight. I think, you know what? I said I said on that tweet, hey, Terrence Crawford, I may have been very critical of you recently. You might hate what I'm saying, but you're going to love me and thank me later if you take my advice. Because if, if Keith Thurman and Terrence Crawford fight on Thriller, I can almost guarantee you both of them are going to walk away with $10 million each. And not only that, Terrence Crawford was watching Thriller 2, and almost every celebrity was watching that pay-per-view. If you watch Twitter, almost every celebrity watched it. It was unbelievable because you had all these celebrities in between the performances. So to me, I think, I think this is something that Thriller Fight Club is something that a lot of fans should really look into. It's very entertaining. Plus, you get boxing. And it proved my point. Jake Paul beat his competitor in the first round. And then I told the guy, you see what I'm talking about? You may have just paid $50 for this fight, and the guy lost in the first round. Because he, he was just wanted to get right past all the entertainment and get to the main event. I said, even in professional boxing, they don't just get to the main event within the first hour. They just don't do that. You know? Yeah. yeah. Even the fight prior to that. So I think Thriller is a great thing. I think guys should really try to get on that network. It's not bad for boxing. It's great advertisement. There's nothing wrong with Thriller. And then uh, it, I, brings I did, in, it brings in new fans, too. I think that's the other big thing I think about it. So I agree with you. That's a great point. And, and even the people that was drawing me into that Twitter conversation, we went back and forth. They were MMA fans that wanted to see they wanted to see Astrid beat Jake. They were like they were anti Jake and they wouldn't have even tuned in whatsoever to any real legitimate, I mean, I wouldn't say legitimate, they would have tuned into a top-ranked boxing fight or or an HBO card. They wouldn't have watched it. But the fact that you had Jake Paul on there, they were in there saying they were Jake haters, basically. And you know what? This other point I wanted to make about Jake Paul is that whether you love him or hate him, if Jake Paul continues to do what he's doing, stays focused, stay around the right people, stop, stay away from the club, stay focused on boxing, and fight the right fighters at the right time, I could see Jake Paul being another Floyd Mayweather. Not Floyd Mayweather as far as skill level. 
I want to make that clear because not that I'm trying to diss him, but Floyd Mayweather comes from a generation of boxers. He will probably forget more about boxing than most people ever learn. Yeah. But I, I think Jake Paul, he can be like Jake Paul as far as money making, as far as that's concerned. Nobody gets over $20 million over three fights as a brand new boxer. That just doesn't happen. Coming in a game. And um, I did want to give our fans the, uh, the fights. I did want to give you my predictions as promised. Again, I want to thank Top Rank Boxing for allowing us, Alan and Aaron, Sports Talk Radio Show, to be a part of the press conference, to ask all of these boxers questions before the fights. I mean, that to me is just is, is huge. I, I really, it goes without saying, it's very, very appreciative. And I, I did want to give you all the, the fans, as promised, the predictions. Uh, we have Edgar Belanga versus Devin Nicholson. And uh, that's... Uh, that's a big fight. That's on the uh, right before the main event. I have Edgar winning that fight. Edgar has a, a, a streak of 16 knockouts in the first round. 16 knockouts in the first round is his streak. And he talked about being 17. And I can understand where he's coming from. He, he's from he's from Brooklyn like myself. Edgar, <laughs> Edgar basically said, I'm sick and tired of people asking me that question about whether I'm going to knock the guy out in the 17th round or not. That's like the most asked question. And I didn't ask him that question. I'm glad I didn't. But <laughs> <laughs> I think Edgar wins this fight, but I don't think he's going to knock the guy out in the first round. I, I, that's my prediction. The guy he's fighting is a very good competitor. He's very – and not only is he a very good competitor, he has experience. When you have experience and you're in the ring, it's harder to knock a guy out right off the bat. Can you do it? Can he do it? Sure, he can. He has the talent to do it, and he has the will to do it, but I just don't think Edgar actually beats him in the first round. I do think Edgar wins the fight, but I don't think he beats him in a first-round knockout in this fight. I, I think it if it does come, it'll come later rounds, fifth round and beyond. So I got Edgar winning, Belongo winning the first, the uh, super middleweight. The second fight is the main event, which is Emmanuel Navarrete from, versus Christopher Diaz. This is a very good fight, too. It's going to be a highly competitive fight. I, I do have Emmanuel winning this fight by a close margin, very close margin. And the reason why I pick Emmanuel, I just feel as if he just wanted a tick batter. I, I just think uh, I just think Emmanuel, he wanted to get in close and kind of fight the guy closer. And uh, with the, I'll give you the rest of the prediction in a few moments, but we do have a call on line. Let me go ahead and get them on the line with us. Hi, how you doing? All right. Is it All Alan right. Yeah, this Alan. How you doing, Lou? All right. Just want to be sure which was which. Oh, no problem. No problem at all. Yeah, Aaron's on the line too, but you're okay. right now speaking as Alan. How you been, Lou? All right, I'm glad you're a two-hour show because if you were signed for an hour, I never would have made it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we did uh we was we did go longer. I'm glad that you called in. Thank but God. We, yeah, I definitely. Uh, how was your week been? Uh, all right. Yeah, you were just mentioning about about about, about fights. Yes, yes, yes. We were talking about the boxing fights coming up tomorrow. Okay, because uh. I was just reading something 
um, that's uh, further down the further down the road about uh, two old timers getting back into the ring, and I think it's got to be one of the most ridiculous things you can ever find out. Two guys over the age of fifty and battling on the ring one more time. Why? I have no idea. <laughs> you know what it is? Is that I think it has to do with the money. I mean, uh, you know, if you They're get a come on. They are loaded. They have money, but I think it's this this new thriller pay per view is very attractive because you have all of these celebrities want to be a part of it, and uh, it's, it's just great for you to get that card. You get paid, and you people make this this this. I think people miss uh, they underestimate this fact that celebrities, even though they're popular and famous. They want to be more popular and famous. Uh-huh. Yeah, like yeah. even if you're an athlete, you want to still be in the limelight. And not only that, you still want to be relevant. So if you pick up a fight past the age of 50 and you can make some money out of it, if you come in shape, I don't have a problem with it. What, what's your thoughts, Aaron, on that? Oh, I mean, you know, I mean, George Foreman – did it several times. I don't see any reason why you can't. I mean, you know, if they're not coming in there with a walker, I don't see any reason why, you know, why they shouldn't do it. You know I mean? And you think about it this way too. I mean, right now, if I could pick one fight that I would definitely pay good money to see, it would be a rematch of Holyfield versus Tyson. I mean, I know both those guys are in there in their fifties now, but I mean, just, just to see that again, I'm not the biggest boxing fan in the world, but I would, I would go out and, and pay good money for that. And I think a lot of people would too. And the, the yeah. you could market that for my goodness, you could make a billion dollars off that. So, so I don't see anything wrong with it as long as they're in good shape and, and you know, good health. And yeah, nobody's having a heart attack the in the time, ring. You, you know? gotta know your body is had enough. I mean, you're not that young anymore. And, you know, I think more of being like that and you will be using a walker. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a great point. But, you know, I think there's exceptions to the rule. There's some guys that are in their 50s that are actually in very, very good shape. Mike Tyson is one. He had, he already fought Roy Jones Jr. on Thriller. That was the first fight. And you know what? Mike I Tyson know. looked like he was in great shape. I mean, yes, he might be a, a split second slower, but I tell you what, he came in phenomenal shape. He really did. I mean, I, I just... If you would have told me that guy's 50 years old, I wouldn't have believed you. 50 plus, that is. You know what? He is, yeah. uh, and he hasn't been in the ring for 15 years. He was in great shape. Roy Jones Jr. was the one who didn't hold his end of the bargain. He wasn't in, in great shape, but Mike Tyson was. And I agree with Aaron. I would I would love to see them fight again. And I think they're trying to make that happen. Is, is that what you saw, Lou? That they're trying to make it yeah. happen? Well, that's what I heard. It hasn't happened, it hasn't happened yet, but that's what I heard. I still, th- I still think you're out of your cotton picking mind, but you know, you don't need the money, you know. So what do you do? You don't, you don't need the money. You're gazillionaires. They don't need the money, but you know what? <laughs> I'm sure they don't need the money, but I'm sure they can find a reason and something to spend the money on. I'll say it like that. Well, they don't it's have. An, it's an ego thing too. I mean, let's face it. It's, it's, it's a bit of okay, an ego okay. thing too. Yeah, that, that's, that's a lot of it. Um, is, hey, I want to prove to myself I can still do it. Um, you've got people, I mean, they've got people in their ear telling them, hey. Okay, but why now? Why did you do it 10 years ago? Yeah, I mean. 
Yeah. That's, that's a question you have to ask them, I guess. You know what? That's a great question. That is a fantastic question, Lou. I'm going to do my part to try to get Mike Tyson and or Hole, Evander Holyfield or even Antonio Tarver, who was trying to get back in the ring. He was going to be in that fight with Jake Paul, the fight right before it, but they, the Georgia State, they, uh, they basically said because of some regulations, he needed to have some type of regulations in place, a licensing in place, and they pulled it. But he was looking to fight on the undercard of that fight of Jake, Jake Paul. So I'm going to try to get one of the vets that have been a, a big name in boxing and get him on our show, and I'll ask him that exact question, Lou. Why now and why not 10 years ago after you retired? That's a great question. That's a fair question to yeah. ask. I will ask them. And probably, I'll even ask Oscar. Did probably get a straight answer? Probably not. He probably won't get a straight answer, but I, I bet you, that, I bet uh, you to say that they'll give you, they'll give you a reason why. I, they, you know, we'll find out. We'll find out what they have to say. I don't want to answer for them, but I, I'm sure they will give you an insight of why. I'm sure they would give you the answer about why why now, why not, you know, 10 years ago when you maybe had the love for it and you retired, you got a break. Sometimes you just need a mental break, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. But 10 years and, you know, you can qualify for being a senior citizen. I don't think that's very smart. Yeah. I mean, but these guys are they, they're in good shape. I don't, I, don't, I don't see them getting hurt that way. I, I just think – Yes, you can get hurt in boxing. Even if you're young, you can get hurt. But I don't think they're going to get physically hurt. I, I look at it as being upside in entertainment. So I, I definitely think so. And who do you got? By the way, the draft is coming up soon. Who do you have in, in the draft? Anybody you think they're going to take for? The Jets? Uh, well, we're getting this uh, kid from BYU. Uh, Zach. Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson, okay. At least we hope to. Yeah, that's a solid pick. Zach Wilson. And uh, definitely. And you have your show tomorrow, right? Is that right? That's correct. Five o'clock. So tell the fans about you about catching your show. Okay, it's called uh, Mike Tyson, you're too old to fight, aka the enhanced sports <laughs> show. Oh, oh boy. Okay. You know it's going with you. you know it's gonna do that. Uh well actually discussed that's one of the topics tomorrow about, you know, uh real deal and whole and uh, Tyson uh getting back in the ring. So I'd like to thank the sports people for bringing for writing an article. Uh well take your draft picks, just tell me who your team is and uh what do you think they need to uh survive. <laughs> uh, we'll also take a look at some other um in topics, we got news from the all the major leagues, all the uh, major leagues, the NFL, the NBA, NHL. As playoff time approaches in those in base, in basketball and hockey, uh, we'll check more baseball, and we'll have our interesting features as well. So, if you got time between five and seven, call five one two five four three four six six two. Yep, that's right. Between five and seven tomorrow, you can get some great insight from Lou. He has a fantastic show. Coast. The East Coast time, that's right. East Coast time, 5 to 7 p.m. tomorrow, every Saturday. Me, myself, Alan, and Aaron did call in, and we uh, had a great time, great conversation. We're talking about football, and, and the phone number again is 512-543-4662. 512-543-4662. 
you'll get a chance to, to talk to Lou and even get some more entertainment on the weekend between Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. That's awesome, Lou. All right, Alex, uh, thanks. You're very welcome. Thank you for calling in, Lou. We always appreciate you on this show. I'll be back. All right. <laughs> we look forward to it. <laughs> we look forward to it. You have a great weekend. That is Lou. He's a regular caller, and you know what? He's been calling pretty much right, right, right ever since the, the show started. Right from the start, yeah. He's uh, he is our our uh, like you said, our regular caller that we get in here all the time. So, well, Alan, it's been a great show here tonight. I'm glad we were able to have um, Emerson Morris on. Uh, some great stuff from him. We've got more great guests coming up in the future. We're going to have some big stuff to talk about next Friday as the uh, first round of the NFL draft will have taken place by then. And I think we're going to see some surprises um, between now and then. It was some trading. And, of course, we'll have more uh, baseball talk, uh, talk about the NBA playoffs and the NHL playoffs that are coming up, and uh, many more great stories uh, then. So signing off tonight, this is Aaron uh, for Allen. Everyone have a great weekend and a great week as well. Thank you for listening to the Evan and Aaron Sports Talk Podcast. Subscribe and check out us on your favorite social media platform. Thank you.